0: For you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter twenty: ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son, and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew Shim'on, because she says the Lord has Shema, that I am of love. So Shema means to hear, and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God acts people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasure possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in my sentence to give emphasis. If you shema, shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word, shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening, or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they've said. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Let me make sure this is. All right. If you'd open up your copy of Scriptures to Deuteronomy chapter six, that's where we'll be starting this morning. And as you turn in there, got a couple, well, a few questions for you. A small series of questions for you that'll serve as a bit of a confessional this morning. All right, disclaimer, confessional. I'm going to encourage each of you to take up a deep spirit of humility right now. And in the exhortation of James chapter 5, confession is healing. All right, I want to see a show of hands. First question, how many of you enjoy washing dishes? Yeah. All right, I see one hand. It, it can be calming. It can be a good discipline of sorts. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> All right, how many of you would rather defer the chore to someone else? Oh, yeah, yeah I knew there would be a show of hands. we got to confess around here. Got to confess around here. And and to be fair, how many of you have ever or are currently washing dishes as part of making a living? Anyone? Anyone work at a restaurant before? Dishwash? I have had a couple, right? 200 degree Fahrenheit plus burning water. Yeah, it tingles. All right. Final question. Final question, and I need everyone to be transparent here. How many of you And seeking to avoid the chore, all right, this may be a little bit more specific, how many of you in seeking to avoid the chore after an exhausting day at work or out and about have decided to stop by the store instead and pick up some paper plates, plastic utensils and plastic cups? I see it across the board. Maybe you're just trying to protect your fine china. (laughs) Right, right, some of you maybe do it consistently, okay, so I'm guilty on multiple accounts and with that guilt comes a set of responsibilities. As the father of a few young boys who tend to make messes, it's very important that me and my wife April are nagging and prodding these kids consistently to go about cleaning up after themselves, right? And I can successfully say that over the course of time that they've they've gotten a little bit better. <laughs> but... Me being the absent minded father I can be from time to time. Over the course of time I'm noticing the gradual disappearance of the heavy duty washable plastic ware that my toddler uses to learn how to eat. And uh, so I'm just not putting it together. And so well anyway, so this morning what we're talking about, we're talking about the stewardship of our children. Uh, the sound and consistent stewardship of our children. And so, very specifically, I want to talk this morning about the stewardship of our testimony before our children and before the next generation. Also, I would like to talk about just the stewardship of the next generation, period, and what that looks like. Now, why the word stewardship? Why Why not discipleship? Is discipleship not a relevant word in this discussion? Oh, it's definitely relevant. It's what we're called to do, right? Great Commission. Called to make disciples. Disciples. And we are actively making disciples out of our children, whether we realize it or not, whether we're intentional or not. Something has made you a disciple. There are influences in this life that are developing us into something. And that's why we must be cautious about filtering those things, right? So, why the word stewardship? Because it infers this idea of ownership, right? It infers this idea of ownership, that we own up to something, that we're owning up to our testimony in Christ before our children and before the next generation and that we're owning up to the fact that we have influence over the next generation here in this fellowship in our city our community, our district our state and beyond Pastor Matt McCauley of the Village Church in Texas, he put it this way Like a plant to water, our children and youth are growing in the garden that we plant. See the quote up here. Say that again. Like a plant to water, our children and youth are growing in the garden that we plant. The garden is ours to take care of. If y'all would join me for a word of prayer. Father, this morning, as we gather around your word and gather. With one another. To give worship to you. Father. Right now I pray that you would just. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. That you would open and reveal your word to us. Father that you would remove me out of the way. Father that you would stir our affections for you. Father. I pray and plead that we would find satisfaction in everything that You are as presented through Your Word and by the power of Your Spirit today. Father, I pray and plead that You would lead our conversation today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll be starting in verse 4. As you saw in the video before, the Shema, meaning hear, or listen. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Let's read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not build, And cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God... In your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord and your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. On to verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good Always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now we see here in this passage a little bit of a background. As we know in chapter 5, Moses had been given the law by the Lord, and now the Lord has commissioned Moses to illustrate these commands and give out these commands before the people of Israel. And we see here in this passage that the Lord has commanded the people of Israel to do three very distinct things. The first and foremost, and most foundational, well, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength. Secondly, in light of that, in light of that relationship and its enabling, they were to teach their children diligently, consistently, and in every context. We see that there in verse 7, right? It says, Teach them diligently to your children concerning these statutes. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And finally, the people of Israel were to give account. See that in verse 20 through 25. To give account of the Lord's good works and faithfulness to the people of Israel and to their individual lives. The Lord continues to issue his commands through Moses in chapter 7. Let's continue reading. Verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And clears away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly but thus shall you deal with them you shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire on to verse 16. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. Keep in mind that phrase, a snare to you. As we know, Moses would pass from leadership and the baton would be passed over to Joshua, the son of Nun. He would remind the people of Israel Of these commands as well. See this in Joshua chapter 23 verse 6 through 8. Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you. Or make mention of the names of their gods. Or swear by them. Or serve them. Or bow down to them but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Now wait a moment. Did Joshua just say, did he just mention the nations remaining among them? We see at the close of Joshua's, the book of Joshua and at the beginning of Judges there in chapter 1 that the people of Israel have already failed. They've already failed to fulfill the command of the Lord. They've already given in to compromise. And in due time, they've already bowed knees to their idols, to these people's idols. And we pick up on the story in Judges chapter 2. We'll turn to Judges chapter 2. Verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went out from Gilgal to Baalcom. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give... To your fathers i said i will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land you shall break down their altars but you have not obeyed my voice what is this that you have done so now i say i will not drive them out before you but they shall become thorns in your sides and their god shall be a snare to you As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bacchum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work, "...that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel." Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. And as we know from the accounts of the Scriptures, This would not be the last time Israel was unfaithful to their Lord. We see that throughout the book of Judges and so forth. And in regards to a different time in which Israel was unfaithful, the Lord commissioned His prophet Hosea to speak a scathing condemnation to the people of Israel. Hosea chapter 4, 1 through 6 reads this. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet, the false prophets of the land, also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. Symbology there of Israel itself. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. As a simple summary to the unfaithfulness of Israel, there in the account of the judges, McCauley says this that half hearted devotion in one generation led to full fledged rebellion in the next. And if we aren't careful, we can be like Israel. We can give in to half-hearted devotion. We can give in to compromise. And whether we recognize it or not in the here and now, we can also bow knee to idols. If we aren't careful and we're hesitant to surrender to the full lordship of Christ in our individual lives and in our families and in our fellowships, then in turn what we create is a false christ in regards to the people of israel the apostle paul wrote to the church in rome chapter 10 verse 2 through 4 of romans says this for i bear them witness that they have a zeal for god but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of god and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And like Israel, if we're honest with ourselves and our context, the church here in America has often lost sight of true righteousness of God. We've seen the ugliness. And with each compromise that we've made With each idol we hit a knee to, each time we reject knowledge, the consequences only deepened. A few months ago, Ligonier Ministries released the results to a survey called The State of Theology. They conduct this every couple of years. And in this survey, what they do, they issue a series of statements to evangelicals across the United States. And with these statements, the person can either agree to a certain degree or disagree to a certain degree, and they filled up the results. They released these results, and they're slightly alarming. When evangelicals here in America were given the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, 51% of evangelicals agreed find the truth in John chapter 4 that it's only through Christ and by the power of his spirit that we're able to worship the father and spirit and truth and given the statement everyone sins a little but most people are good by nature 52% of evangelicals agree Romans chapter 3 verse 9 through 12 tells us that none is righteous no not one in his letter to the Ephesians the apostle Paul wrote to the believers concerning their former nature, saying that they were by nature children of wrath. Not children of good, children of wrath. But there was some encouragement to be had in the survey. When given the statement, there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, 97% of evangelicals agreed. When given the statement, God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ, 91% of evangelicals agreed. But it does seem that if sometimes evangelicals are confused as to the nature of Jesus Christ and his divinity, when given the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, a staggering 78% of evangelicals agreed. That's up 7% from 2016. The truth concerning this statement is that this is an ancient heretical view called Arianism. It's the belief that Christ was a created being instead of the divine Son of God who was in the beginning and by Him all things were created. find these truths in John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. It is so important that we're teaching proper Christology in our churches. Now these are just a few of the statistics. If you're interested in seeing the rest of the results of the survey, then you can go to thestateoftheology.com. Really eye-opening survey results. Let me also say this. If any of these statements for any reason have left you confused or frustrated concerning concepts of the nature of God or the nature of Jesus Christ, then please do not hesitate to approach leadership here. We would love to speak with you, pray with you, and dig out biblical truth with you. So in response to these statistics, the question bears on us. How do we respond? What are we to do? How do we make a difference? How do we recover our testimony as believers? Well, Deuteronomy 6 tells us something. It tells us three things, in fact. It tells us to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, and strength. And isn't that the foundation of it? Isn't that what brings it all together? Isn't that the core of it? Our love relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ? Isn't that what motivates us? Isn't that what lifts us up and gives us the strength and joy to live out each day? It's only through that relationship that we're even even able, able to consistently and diligently teach our children in every context. It's through that relationship that we even have a testimony of the good works of God and His faithfulness as it has marked our lives. So how does that look practically? How do we practically apply Deuteronomy 6 to our lives? How do we take on the principles shared here day to day so that we can establish enduring testimony before the next generation here, here at Northside, here in our community, here in the city of Mobile, here in the greater district, here in the state, here in the United States, and in the world. How do we recover and build an enduring testimony? Well, I have four carryouts for you this morning. And with each of these carryouts, a challenge. Uh Uh-oh. And with each of these carryouts, I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can build an enduring testimony before our children and before the next generation. First one. First carryout. Read the Bible. Seems an obvious one, right? Very obvious one, right? It's important that we're reading the Bible so that we're growing in our relationship with the Lord and that we're reading with, intentionally, the next generation so that they're growing in their relationship with the Lord. Being for the next generation looks like us reading with them. Reading devotionals, studies, theological texts, things that will stir up meaningful conversation. That said, your first challenge. First challenge. This week, take it on each day. Share a passage of Scripture with someone. Now, here's the kicker do it over the phone or in person. And do not get me wrong. If you have the U version app, and you can pull up a passage and share it on social media. Please do so. I'm not discouraging that whatsoever. I'd much rather see the Word of God on social media than the negative hubbub I'm dealing with every day. Now that's another sermon. That's a soapbox and a half. I'd much rather see the Word. So I'm not discouraging that. The challenge is to speak the Word into the lives of other people, everywhere, not just at home, at Walmart, at work. Oh, Mm. Speak the word into people's lives and you'll be amazed by the conversations God will open up through that. Second carry out. Pray intentionally. Again, seems like a very obvious one. We should pray for opportunities to share deep truths with others. We should be praying for brokenness and willingness in our lives, right? So we're actually so we are broken and ready to love and serve fully others and that we should pray for others to to be broken and willing to listen and consider what's said. One of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever read when we pray with the next generation pray with the gospel in mind. When I pray with my boys It's so intimate and powerful to be able to share the gospel through prayer with my children. It it, it points to my gratefulness for my relationship with the Lord. And it exercises praise before them in prayer. So important that in our prayer, we're not just issuing out our needs, but we're issuing praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Thanksgiving isn't just a day we celebrate each year. I'm glad we have that day. So mad at Black Friday. Call it righteous (laughs) zeal. Righteous indignation. Call it whatever you will. I'm thankful for the celebration of Thanksgiving. It should be every day of our lives and it can be expressed in prayer with our kids and with the next generation when we pray with them. What do you think your challenge may be in regards to this one? Well, pray with someone each day. Over the phone, in person. I've seen prayer through text. It's, It's you know, to me, I'd hey, issue that prayer before the Lord. Put it up there. Pray with someone each day. And if you notice the trend so far, first challenge fits with the second challenge. well, The third carry out. Number three, speak intentionally. Speak intentionally. Now, look, I'm guilty of talking way too much half the time. The Lord has had to teach me and prod me and work on me over the course of time to speak intentionally. What do I mean by speaking intentionally? Let's share the gospel, right? That's the first and foremost. Let's share the gospel with others. That's what we've been commissioned to do. Let's share the gospel with others. Secondly, within this, let us remind others of the gospel. I've shared this with the men's group on Wednesdays before, but one of the things I absolutely have to do each morning or else I wake up, crabby daddy, ready to rip everything up and and, and just go about a day of, of just misery, is that each morning, and I have to start by reminding myself of the gospel, it is one of the greatest encouragements we can give to someone. Remind them that this powerful God, almighty God of the universe, was intimate enough to send his very son to redeem our very souls, or to redeem us from our, our darkness, and adopt us as heirs of his kingdom. We need to be reminded of that. Remind someone, right? It's, It's so good. It's so rich to do so. Your challenge in regard to this. and Let me stop. I do want to mention this. When we're speaking intentionally, let's have intentional conversations with our kids and the next generation about what we're getting each day. I just went on a brief rant about social media, entertainment, and such. Now, those conversations with our kids through a Christian worldview can be very harming if we're not careful. It's easy to rip and judge into it. But let's seek the Lord in how we can have constructive conversations about what our kids are hearing and experiencing each day through media, entertainment, the news, in a way that will turn around and encourage them to grow in Christ and grow in understanding. so important that we're actively doing that and, and in a world and a society where we're being hit by information and presentation all around us. It's happening all the time. What are we doing to intentionally speak into the lives of people amidst all of that? Your challenge in regard to this one, each day have a gospel-centered conversation with someone. Now, if I'm counting the challenges so far, if I'm doing number one and sharing a passage of scripture with someone, and I'm doing number two where I'm praying with someone each day, then number three has an opportunity within that same conversation as well. Let's try to take this on each day. Fourth and final carry out. This is the one that's easy to type, easy to ask, very difficult to do. In some cases, if we aren't surrendering to the gospel, to the spirit each morning, live intentionally. Live intentionally. We know the same That we don't just talk the talk, we. Thank you. We want to walk the walk. We want to lead by example. We want to practice. Catch me here. We want to practice the disciplines of the faith in each and every day for our personal growth and our intimate relationship with the Lord and to model it before our kids in the next generation. They need to see the disciplines of the faith acted out. Now, what do I mean by that? Prayer, meditation, silence, fasting. They need to see these things. An excellent book on that Celebration of the Disciplines from Richard Foster, The Spirit of Disciplines by Dallas Willard. If you're a reader, I would highly recommend those books as you pursue intimacy with the Lord. And we should be modeling those disciplines before our children, before the next generation. We should be doing that. We should be very intentional about doing that. But not just in front of them, not just in public. also in private, right? We just just came out of a series on Philippians. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We must live intentionally. Now, I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're to take these four challenges, these four carry-outs, and take them on each day, we will be about the business of establishing an enduring testimony before our kids in the next generation here in our community, here in our city, here in our district, state, country, and ultimately the world. Earnestly believe that. Now as it come to a close today, I want to take you back to Hosea. Now earlier we heard a scathing condemnation from Hosea. But in chapter 6, If you would like to open up the word to this. Right off the bat of chapter 6 of Hosea. The Lord speaks through Hosea. To call for his people to return. This is what he says. Verse 1. Come let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Gave in condemnation earlier. And now God's calling His people to come to Him and to see that the brokenness He has issued to them is a grace. It is His, His mercy. Isaiah thirty eighteen talks about how it's a revealing of Himself. The brokenness that He issues to us and in our lives and in our families is a moment and an opportunity. It's an opportunity to hear the Lord crying to us to come to Him to return to Him, to hold fast to Him, and to see that He is powerful and mighty enough to draw us out of our darkness and invite Him into the abundance of relationship with Him. And as I believe that He can do that with us, He can do that with our children, and He can do that with the next generation, I've got no reason to believe that the stats read off earlier can't be radically shifted by the power of God. Exacted through our lives and our commitment to Him. So may we be about the mission of sharing God's love. Sharing that intense, intimate, and powerful love through the teaching, through the sharing, through the leading, through Diligence, consistency of teaching the word to our children in every context. And by readily having our testimony upon our lips and thanksgiving to Him, by having those, by being equipped with that, God can use us by the power of the Spirit to call this generation in their darkness, draw them right out make a change. A radical change. So it's my prayer. We're going to pray in a moment. We're going to pray about this intentionally. We're going to pray that the Lord would reach into our children's lives within into the generation that's within our influence here, north side and beyond. We pray that the Lord would rip them from their darkness. But may we remember that it's the Lord that has called us to put our hands to the plow and be about cultivating that garden so that we may build an enduring testimony here in Mobile. Let us pray.